Good morning. Um, today's reading will be in Revelation 3, verses 3 through 13, or 7 through 13, I'm sorry. Um, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your words, your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make you those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Man, we love the word of the Lord here. Amen. How you guys doing? Good. Awesome. Well, welcome to Harvest. And if, we, if you're new with us, we are continuing a series um, that, through the book of Revelation called Letters to the Church. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 today, if you want to get a head start there. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, we'd love to give one to you. There's one in the back, or you can find it on, on your phone or whatnot. But we're so thankful for all that God is doing. My name is Pastor Dan. If I have another ch- chance to meet you yet, I see some new faces this morning. I would love to do that. We'd love to meet you after church. A welcome here, whether this is your first time here, you're family here, um, or whether you've been here for a long time, in person, online, you are family here. Jesus is building his church here. Praise God. Amen. And so Jesus answers prayers. Amen. And so we are so thankful for that. We are continuing to see that. And I wanted to share one really big prayer answer that God has given as he continues to build his church. And um, a couple weeks ago, we, I shared with you um, on behalf of the elders that you know, our church had been behind financially thus far this calendar year. We're growing numerically, but we're behind financially and just praying that God would provide. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In the seven and a half years of this church, I can tell you one thing. Jesus is faithful. Amen. He does it different ways, different times, and, different, and through different mechanisms, but he's faithful all the time. So while we started this month with one of the lowest giving months ever um, in the history of this church, I'm happy to share with you that through your generosity as God has moved, we are concluding this month, we concluded March above budget. Praise God. Uh, amen. Praise God. That's awesome. And even more than that, there, was, there were two large gifts from I don't literally know who, so thank you very much for if that was you. And one of them was specifically to eradicate the entire deficit that we have been running through this calendar year. So that is gone. So praise God for that. Amen. And so just super thankful for that. Now we need to continue to grow in a heart of worship to continue to be generous givers and tithers. And, and we want to continue to grow in discipleship in that way. And so that continues because we believe with all of our hearts that giving is worship, right? And that generous hearts lead to multiply kingdom gospel opportunities. And we're going to see that directly today from the text that Jesus writes to the church of Philadelphia, where he says, hey, you are facing a lot of adversity in this world, and you live in a messy world, but I have a mighty opportunity for you to take the gospel in you, first in you, and then through you to change the world. That's the message from the text today. 
that Jesus says, I have a message for you, and that I have a message that will go through you, that will change everything for those that are around you, the reality that I came for you, that I conquered for you, that I died for you, that I am risen for you, and that now I am reigning for you. That is this text. Praise God. Amen. And Jesus, here's the thing about our God, and we are all about Jesus here. If this is your first time here, it's all about him. It's not about any one of us. It's about Jesus Christ. And Jesus writes a letter to us to follow, but he doesn't just write to us. He sets an example for us. Jesus doesn't just talk to talk. He literally walks the walk. And as we, commemorate, as we begin Holy Week, this is Palm Sunday. This is a week where we explicitly focus on that literal walk, the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus, our Savior, humbled himself to the point of dying for us. We, and so we want to follow not just the words that he says, which he's going to exhort to us very, very clearly today from Revelation, but we want to follow the life that he lived. Amen? How does Jesus do that? Because Jesus was sent on a mighty mission to save us from sin and death. Well, in this week that we call Holy Week, Jesus did this. In the night, on Thursday night, when they were in the upper room, Jesus prayed. And he prayed this prayer from John 17, 4. This is the heart of Jesus. To God the Father in front and with the disciples, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So what is Jesus' heart, right? It's a posture of humility and a posture of faithful obedience to save us from sin and death. A couple hours later, late into the night on Thursday, early into the morning on Friday, literally hours after this upper, right before he would go to the cross, he prayed in the garden and he prayed this prayer. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but whose be done? Yours be done. And there appeared to him and an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. I pray that you would join us in person on Friday night when we commemorate the sacrifice that our Savior made for us. You can't get to the celebration of the resurrection without dwelling in the agony of the crucifixion to understand the reality of the cost that Jesus paid for us. We need to prepare our hearts that way to see the reality of how much, as this text will explicitly say today, Jesus loves you. But we see the heart posture of Jesus, and we're going to see it in the, in the life that he lived, and then directly in the, in the letter that he writes, to be mighty, to live on mission in a mighty way, because God wants to do mighty things in you and mighty things through you, through the power of God, for the glory of God. But it takes, as Jesus models for us in these prayers himself, it takes this. It takes a heart posture of full surrender. Jesus says, not my way, but yours be done, right? And then it takes a life, a life of faithful obedience. Jesus went to the cross. He says, I will do it. And it takes a life of fervent endurance. The angel showed up and strengthened Jesus, and in agony he prayed all the more. And we're going to see those principles lived out explicitly from the letter that he writes to Philadelphia. But I want you to know these are not just words from Jesus' lips. They're the way he lived his life. And it's the calling for us as he's now disciples to live our lives as we pick up the baton of that mighty mission that Jesus says, hey, as the Father sent me, guess what? So I send you to accomplish that will change everything in us and then to the world that is around us. And it begins with a heart posture of dependence. Here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen. That living mighty for God occurs as I surrender completely to God. What's in question today in the text is not Jesus' worthiness, but your willingness, our willingness 
collectively as a church, but individually, because the church is gathered together as a group of individuals, a willingness to surrender, a willingness to obey, a willingness to endure. And church, when you do that, God works in you in mighty ways that you can't even fathom, and he works through you in ways that you can't even imagine for his glory. But it starts in my own heart to get off the throne and put Jesus where he rightfully belongs on the throne. Today in the text, Jesus is explicitly going to say, I have created an open door for you. Are you willing to walk through it? An open door first for a personal relationship with God through Jesus, and then an open door to live on mission for Jesus so that others can experience the life-changing, eternity-altering sacrifice, salvation that Jesus is here to offer. We see from Jesus' heart that dependence, fervent dependence means faithful prayer. We're going to do something a little unique today because if we don't pray, nothing else matters, and prayer is our power source. We have little powers we're going to see from the text, but God has unlimited power. We're going to pray three times today as as part of this message because that's what Jesus did, right? That's what he did on his mighty mission, and we need to do that as well. So at the end of each point, we're going to pray. And so I pray that you prepare your hearts, and my ask to you is this, is that you would open your hearts and that you would, one, be real, and two, be open, Be real with wherever you are in life because God wants to do a mighty work in you, not tomorrow, he does tomorrow, but today, right here, right now. And then he wants to do a mighty work through you. We aren't limited by our, what we can't do. We have unlimited potential because of what our God has done and will do. So will you lay it down today? Be real with where you're at, where you've strayed from the Lord or the questions you have about the Lord where you've been wrestling for control away from God and surrender it all to God today. Because that is the mighty way. And experience the life abundantly that Jesus purchased for you fully on the cross at Calvary. And then share it with those around you so that they can experience it too. Because he offers us a living hope. Offers us an eternal life. What a gift. What a savior we have in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. I just pray that you would silence me and that you would flow. God, that you would work in us and through us in whatever way you would have. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the, win- the doors that you have opened for a renewed relationship with our heavenly father, Jesus, through your sacrifice. We thank you for the doors that you have opened to do a mighty work around us as we share the hope of the gospel with those that we come in contact with. Father, I pray that you would just eliminate distractions, that you would silence our hearts and that we would focus our hearts on you. That however we walked in here, that we would experience the reality that we have a mighty Savior who has called us on a mighty mission. And God, I pray that we would humble our hearts, that we would surrender, that we would obey, that we would endure. And in in doing that, experience the life that you, you have desired for us, that you purchased for us, and that you have prepared for us. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation 3. And Kelsey, thank you so much for reading earlier. Um, this is the, the six or seven letters we're looking at from the heart of Jesus. And again, we're going to hear the heart of Jesus, but we also want to make sure we look at the life of Jesus because his, his walk matched his talk. My challenge to you is your walk matching your talk. We can say a lot of things, we can sing a lot of things, we can write a lot of things, but is your life matching the reality of the words that come out of your mouth? Is there consistency? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna challenge that today from the Holy Spirit. 
So the, to the, the verse seven, chapter three, Revelation, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? The words of the holy one, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Praise God. So he's writing to the church of Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia, come. the word phila is, is the Greek word phileo. It means brotherly love. And unlike this city two hours to our north, it literally is brotherly love. It is true affection, not dysfunction and disruption like Philly, Pennsylvania is. Um, I love you if you're from Philly. Um, but yeah. This Philadelphia is actually known for brotherly affection. It's known for a vertical love of God that leads to a horizontal love of the church and those that don't know Jesus. Is that us? This church in Philadelphia, it was on a, it was a gateway. It was on major highways. It was a, 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 that lots of people passed through it. It was small in size, but mighty in gospel opportunity. It was a city in AD 17 that was destroyed by an earthquake. And I love how Jesus specifically writes to the specific context of each church, because at the tail end of this letter, as we'll look at later in the message, we're going to see that Jesus speaks right to that. And it was then rebuilt by the Roman emperor Tiberius, that it was in such a way that it was so loyal to Rome. It was a missionary city with a great strategic location to have great gospel impact locally, regionally, and globally. And when I see the church of Philadelphia, you know what I see, church? I see us. We are not the largest church around, but we have an immense gospel opportunity. Look at this map that's on the screen. Look where we're located. 95 up and down the East Coast, 495, 695, major international airport, BWI, 10 minutes away, an international port in the city of Baltimore, Fort Meade, NSA, Pentagon, Naval Academy. We have the privilege to make disciples that will change the world and launch disciples into all the world like we have done over the seven and a half years of the church. We continue to do that and the government continues to pay for it. Praise God, right? We love our military family. And I know we're going to continue to do that and commission even some more of you in a, in a couple of weeks as you transition to a new duty location. And I'm not talking military duty. I'm talking gospel ambassador duty. Don't lose sight on the incredible opportunity. My prayer and Anne's prayer from the get-go is God make us a launching pad of disciple makers into the nations and into every neighborhood. And he's doing it. Praise God. This is the vision. Catch it. Not my vision. God's vision. Acts 1.8 right? Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and where? The ends of the earth. And praise God, what a gospel outpost he has created us to be. But before we do that, it starts out there. It starts in here. A heart of humility to follow the Lord wherever he leads. A heart of surrender. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to live their life that way? Because the living mighty for God begins with walking humbly before God. You can't live mighty for God without walking humbly before God. Jesus models that. He modeled that on his way to the cross. Philippians 2, which we'll touch on on and off, explicitly says that. Are you willing to live your life in that way? As John the Baptist said in John 3.30, Jesus must what? Increase. And who must decrease? Hi. Who must decrease? I couldn't hear you. Us. Are you living your life in a way that you are choosing to decrease yourself and increase Christ? Be honest, be real. Or are you trying to increase yourself, your net worth, your job profile, 
your Facebook friends. Who are you really living for? And is your walk matching your talk? That's the challenge of this text. Three marks of a mighty faith as we see in this text today. It's a diagnostic, should be a diagnostic for our own hearts and lives. Am I doing this? What needs to change to live this way? Because this is the way that Jesus lives and this is the way that he writes for us to live. The first mark of a mighty faith is a, is a heart of full surrender. And Jesus is talking about a, a, a mar- when we say mighty faith, we mean a mighty personal faith, a mighty collective faith of the church, an opportunity to be a mighty church because we have a mighty Messiah, a heart of full surrender. Living mighty for Jesus starts with truly seeing the majesty and the magnificence of Jesus. That's one of the themes of Revelation is to see Jesus who he is. Great, high, exalted, lifted up. And Jesus himself declares that right here in verse 7. He throws down the gauntlet in case we were wondering about who Jesus is in relation to who we are. He throws it down and says, this is why you must surrender. Why? Because I am the Holy One. Not you, me. Holy as in set apart, holy as in completely blameless, without sin. He is holy and we are not. We need to be aspiring to become more and more holy, right? That's called progressive sanctification. The Bible says, be holy because I am holy. It's a challenge. It's a pursuit. It's a process. But this side of heaven, we will never be without sin. Praise God for his grace. Amen. Amen but we need to be pursuing and growing. But Jesus goes, I'm the Holy One, remember that. And our heart response to that should be reverent worship. And out of everything is a heart of worship. How can I exalt Jesus? How can I lift Jesus higher? That's what worship is, ascribing the worth. He's holy. And then he goes on to say, I am the true one. Now, true has a lot of different meanings. They all apply to Jesus. True is in, I will stand when everything else falls. Your, your town was devastated by an earthquake, but I stand True. Man, that windstorm last night was crazy, wasn't it? Even in the most strongest storm, Jesus stands true, amen? His word stands when culture goes sideways. Praise God. And he is true as in the the truth. We live in a world that tells you truth is relative to you. I love you, friends, enough to tell you it is not. This is truth. God's word is absolutely true. What are you anchoring your life on? What you think is right or what God says is right? Because a heart of surrender submits fully, wholeheartedly, completely to the totality of God's word. And then he continues. He says, I have the key of David. This is a messianic claim. It goes back to Isaiah 22:22. He says, I sit on the throne, not you. And then he doubles down on that, but he says, I, no one will shut who shuts, and no one opens. Who opens, no one will shut, and who shuts, no one will open. He says, I open the door for your salvation. Basically, what he is saying right here is, I am the gatekeeper of salvation. No one can get to Jesus, to God, outside of me. And you will all stand before me, and I will judge you. And you will either enter in, or I will cast you far away from me. And now all of that is the dependence on where your heart posture is towards me. Is it surrendered to me? Have you put your faith in me? Because if you have, I get to spend eternity with you. And if not, I will cast you away, far away from me to the gates of hell. I love you enough to not sugarcoat that reality because Jesus doesn't. He holds the key. 
He's the gatekeeper. And then he continues in verse eight, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one's able to shut. So the first reference to a key, Jesus doesn't just hold the key. He is the key. The second reference to a key right here. So that's our, 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 the door to our eternity. And then in verse eight, he's talking about gospel opportunity. So the first one is the gospel to us in verse seven. And verse eight is the gospel through us. Both of those are the doors that Jesus himself opens for us. So the question is, will you humble yourself around, uh, around what Jesus says? He is risen and he is reigning. He has absolute total authority. And as he's established that, what is our response? What is your response? To still try to do it your way? Or are you willing to submit and do God his way? Jesus says this about himself as the door to our salvation. He says this in John 10, 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and find out green pastures. So the first door that Jesus offers to us is an open door to eternal life. He's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Are you friends willing to walk through that with a heart posture of surrender right now and embrace that? Or are you finding yourself rebelling against that, turning your back on that and trying to do it your own way? Because your own way will end, up, will end you up far away from Jesus in all of eternity. The only way to peace, to hope, to joy that you are searching for, because we're all searching for, is through the open door that Jesus made for us. You can't manufacture it. You can't work hard enough. You can't give enough money to earn it. A mighty life, a mighty faith anchors in this reality. It recognizes these things about Jesus as supremacy, that Jesus is our Messiah. He is our Savior. A mighty faith recognizes that Jesus is also our Master. He is Lord. A mighty faith recognizes that Jesus is our Messiah. He's our Master. He is our model. We follow him. Read Philippians 2, that our hearts should model Jesus, who in humility made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and giving himself up to death, even death on a cross. He was tortured. He was inconvenienced. If you're like, it cost me too much to follow Jesus. I can't get the job that I want. I don't have enough money. My Facebook, Jesus says, look to the cross and what I gave up for you. And you can talk to talk about following me, but why are you not walking the walk? In actuality, you're rebelling directly against me. And then it says that God raised him from the dead and exalted him to a highest place, that he is the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee will bow, right? And every tongue will confess that Jesus is the, not a, the Lord. To the glory of who? God the Father. That's Philippians 2. Every knee will bow. God's plan A, as was told to me by a mentor of mine, is our humility. You bend your own knee. God's plan B is humiliation. He will bend your knee for you because he loves you. He will take away the idols in your life and strip them away, and it will be painful, but it's out of love because he wants you to see what is best himself. So friends today, where do you need to bend the knee? How do you know if you're surrendering to God? Well, what are you, what's your prayer life like? Are you praying that your will would be done or that God's will would be done? True talk. Jesus said, God, if, you, if there's any water the way, take this cup from me. But then what? Not my will, but who's to be done? Teach us how to pray, the disciples said. And Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Oh, look. Hallowed, holy be your name. This is a model of what Jesus is declaring right here. The sovereignty of God, the holiness of God. Your kingdom come. Whose will be done? 
Your will be done. We need to get off the throne. Look at verses 7 and 8. Who is the one who is opening the, the doors in people's hearts? Jesus. Who is the one offering gospel opportunities? Jesus. So how many of us, when we see Jesus opening these doors for us, if we see it, we might see it, or maybe we're ignoring it, maybe we're ignorant of it, but regardless, we're turning our back on it because we're over here and there's this door over here with a lock on it, and we're trying to figure out how to open it. We're like, if I get a new job, then I'll be happy. Eh, that didn't work. If I get an actual boyfriend or girlfriend that likes me, that'll work. Well, if I actually end up in a different geographic location, that'll work for my happiness. Nope. If I get a little bit more money in my bank account, that'll work. Nope. If I get the scout, you get my point? And maybe that's you right now. The door is locked and you're trying to bang down a door that Jesus has shut and was refusing to open because you're living in your own prideful ignorance of God. And Jesus in this text is saying, friends, Loved ones, I love you. I am the key. Though your skins are like scarlet, Isaiah says, I will make them white as snow. I am the only way to open this lock. Will you humble yourselves and submit to my authority, my leadership, and embrace the price that I have paid for you to follow me? And maybe it's personally then, too on a mission field. God has opened this door for you to have significant impact in a ministry role here or a neighbor is having a conversation with a coworker or neighbor, but you're like, I don't know. They might, how are they going to respond to me? They might not listen to me. It will cost me something. And you refuse to open that door because you're so focused on banging down an open door or maybe not that, that isn't there. It's locked. And the text says, Jesus says, I am the one who opens it. So where are those open ministry doors in your life? that you need to be surrendering to them and, and submitting to them and not living in open rebellion against God. Embracing open doors for Jesus starts with a fully surrendered heart and an open heart to Jesus. A surrendered heart says, God, have my heart, have my money, have my time, have my location, have my, uh, my family. God, have my relationships, have my mind, have my hands, have what? Something? No, everything. It's scary, but it's beautiful. Surrender doesn't focus what it will cost me on earth, but it fixates on the price and the reward that Jesus purchased for me in the eternal reward, the crown in heaven, as, as this text says in verse 11. So where is your life out of alignment with surrender? Where are you not surrendering? I think all of us have an area or many areas that we need to surrender. And maybe some of you need to surrender your life right now to Jesus Christ. You've been talking about it. You've been thinking about it. You've been overthinking it. And Jesus says, I am the only one who is the way, the truth, the life. Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Focus on what you do know Jesus as opposed to what you don't know. Stop letting what you don't know keep you from the one who you do know. No more excuses. Let's be real. Give your life to the Lord right now. Right now. And maybe you do know the Lord, but man, you've been fighting. You've been living your own way right now. You're trying to force a square peg through a round hole. How is that working out for you? You know what a key indicator in my life is of whether I'm living God's way or, or my way? is peace. Do I have a genuine peace from the Holy Spirit about it? Or am I not? And if I'm not at peace, it's not from God. Different seasons mean different things. But this whole thrux of this text, verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Are you actually seeking the Lord? Are you actually listening to the Lord? Are you actually obeying the Lord? That's the heart of a surrendered life. Are you doing that? So right now, 
We're just going to take a time and a minute or two of quiet for you to seek the Lord and ask him to reveal to you. And maybe you know those areas that you're not surrendering. And if you don't know, just silent your heart and listen to those areas because the Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction. And then repent of them and then commit to them. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord and say, Jesus, I don't have a lot of things figured up, but I know that I just, today's the day that I decide that you are the way. I've been playing about it. I've been asking questions about it, but I want to give my life to you. You are the holy one. You paid for me. I can't pay for my own price. So in the next minute or two, would you just bow your heads and actually listen to the Holy Spirit and then actually follow whatever he is asking you to do? Just seek his face right now. Jesus, we love you. And this is a surrender is a process, and it's also a decision. And I just pray that, that we would, you would reveal to us, Holy Spirit, where we need to listen, and that we would choose to listen and then choose to obey. Jesus, you have modeled surrender. You have embraced the cost. You have paid the price. And I pray that you would strengthen us to do the same, that we would see you and focus on you and choose today to live for you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the reality that when we have gone out of alignment with heart of surrender, that you are, you are overflowing with your love and forgiveness, that when we repent and confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. God, just do that. Forgive us for where we have not fully surrendered and help us to choose to surrender today, choosing that your way is the best way, not my way, your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a heart of full surrender in this text is displayed through a life of faithful obedience. That's the second mark of a mighty faith, is a life of faithful obedience. A heart of full surrender bears the fruit, produces the fruit of a life of faithful obedience. And that's what we see in in the church at Philadelphia, and I pray that we would see that in our lives today, too. It's not about the size of the bank account, not about the size, the seating capacity of a church. It's about the sending capacity of the church or surrendered capacity of the church. It's not about the opulence of a church. It's about the obedience in the church. That's the characteristic of a mighty faith. And Jesus himself says, I know the works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Look at this part. I know that you have what? But little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus uses the word behold three different times here in the text in the next three verses, next in verses eight and nine. Behold, I have set before you an open door that no one else can shut. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are the Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come. Three words of behold. Behold means to focus. It means to set your heart intently on, to not be distracted by. Jesus is calling you right now to see him, to look at him, and not just him, but the opportunities that he has set before you. To not look at the obstacles, but to look at the opportunities. He is calling this church in Philadelphia, set your eyes on me and the gospel opportunities I have set before you. Don't be distracted by the opposition. Don't be distracted by the obstacles. 
obstacles, they are present anytime God gives us a gospel opportunity. There are obstacles, are they not? There is opposition, is it not, right? Coming up on Easter, there is obstacles. There is opposition. There are distractions. But where is your focus? Jesus says, behold. And where is your confidence? Because look at this. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which who can shut? No one. Not those that are talking to you in culture or on social media that are bashing Jesus. They can't shut the door. Not your family members that sort of talk down to you because of your growing love for the Lord. Not your job, not your bank. No one can shut these doors because Jesus opens them. Amen. Praise God, right? So where's your focus today, church? Are you allowing the opposition and the obstacles to keep you from obedience? Or are you allowing the overcomer to fuel your gospel obedience? There are two types of, of obstacles that Jesus lists here. The first one is internal. An internal obstacle. I know you're little power. How many of us look at, I don't have enough money to go on a mission trip. I don't have enough time to to go to my neighbor. I don't don't have enough faith to actually have a conversation with my friend, because what if they don't like me? What if I don't have the words? Like Moses said that, right? How many of you today are dismissing the gospel opportunity because you're focused on the obstacle that is inside you? Jesus says, don't focus on what you don't have, you of little power. Focus on what you do have, me, with unmatched, unstoppable power. He will, God will never lead you to a place he will not provide for you financially with words. The, Holy, the scripture says the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. A surrendered heart, listening heart will be given the words and you will be able to speak them with confidence and grace. Doubt, pride unwillingness to pay the cost of the gospel opportunity? Is there a cost so great that you are unwilling to pay to see others come to know the Lord? Is there, church, somewhat literal, somewhat rhetorical? Is there an amount of money you would not give, an amount of days off you would not take? There are a place you would not go to see God change lives for eternity. What if, what if, what if we actually focused on the overcomer and the gospel opportunity? What would change here? What would change in your finances if you said, honey, what do we need to cut out so God can have more? Let's have that conversation. What do we need to cut out of our time schedule so I can devote more time to going to my neighbor and telling them about Jesus? What do I need to cut out? What do I need to stop doing so I can start embracing the gospel opportunities so I can actually see and have space to see the work that God is doing in me and through me? Where are my my doubts, my pride, my selfishness, my fear, my inward focus causing me to miss out on gospel opportunities. The real, real question that I challenge you personally and with your spouse and your family and even us collectively as a small group and as a church to ask. Because man, when we begin to seek God's face, he will begin to unlock incredible gospel opportunities. And that starts with unlocking our hearts. What are you holding back from God today? Because you're focused on what little power you think you do have instead of the unmatched power that God offers us. 
And then there are external obstacles, oppositions. He comes on in verse 9. He says, Behold, I make those of the the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews that are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. He's not denying the reality of external opposition to the gospel. He is elevating the authority of Jesus over them. He says, Remember, newsflash, I am risen. I am reigning. I am in complete control. Take your eyes off the waves and put them on the way maker. Now, focus. There will be adversity, but take heart because I have already won the victory. Praise Jesus. Amen. Where are your eyes today, friends? On the adversity or on the victory? There is no victory without adversity. But man, people need the Lord. The people that are most adverse against you probably need the most Lord from you, right? Nothing can stop our God. No one can stop our God. So who, who is Jesus saying can stop him here? No one. Say no one. Who can stop our God? What if we lived our life like that? What would change? Let's start doing that. Amen? Stop looking at the opposition and being psyched out by the obstacles and claim the overcomer. Cling to the overcomer. and Watch him work. So what does it look like to live in fervent, faithful obedience? Here are some facets of faithfulness in this text. The first is this, that I choose to walk through the open door, not turn away from it. What are the open doors in your life right now that Jesus is calling you to walk through? Who's the coworker he's played on your heart to have a conversation with, a neighbor you've been friends with, but at some point you gotta go in and share the gospel with him? When are you gonna do that? A mission trip a gospel opportunity, a ministry opportunity here at Harvest, servant, whatever it is, what are the gospel opportunities Christ has laid in front of you that you know you need to walk through? Will there be a cost, energy, finances, time? Yes, but man, the reward's worth it, isn't it? That's what Jesus says, full surrender to God. He modeled that this week. It's what we see. John 17, Luke 22, those prayers, the heart of Jesus. What are those gospel opportunities and where have you been Turning your way and saying, no, not today, Jesus. My time is too valuable to me. My money's too valuable to me. You can't have my money. You can't have my time. You can't have this. You can't have that. That's not a heart of worship. That's a heart of rebellion. I love you. You need to repent. And then you need to turn. and need to change. Because we can claim to be disciples, but are you actually living like a disciple? The cost of discipleship is real. Jesus says, pick up your cross. Don't go find a comfy bed. The, the followers of God, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. Read Luke 9 if you want to understand what it's like to follow Jesus and then make the genuine choice. Stop playing like a disciple and start living as a disciple because only in and through that will you find true joy. Secondly, are you focused today on uh, focusing on the overcomer rather than the opposition? Fervent, fastest of faithfulness focuses on the overcomer, not the opposition, the face of opposition and obstacle. The third facet is that we choose to obey God's word and not abandon God's word. Faithfulness is obeying. He says it right here in verse 8. He says that you have little power, but I know that you have little power, but yet, but yet, in the face of the reality of adversity externally and internally, you have kept my word. They have chosen to obey God's word as a part instead of abandoning God's word. What are you living right now? Are you obeying God's word, keeping God's word? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. John 14, he said that in the upper room to his disciples right before he went to the cross. 
If you love me, you will keep my commands. You will obey faithfully. Where are you needing to obey and cling to? Thirdly, fourthly, he says, uh, a fervent faithfulness, obedience is a facet of this. It's exalting and declaring Jesus' name when we're tempted to dismiss it and deny it. He says, not only have you kept my word, but you have not denied my name, verse eight. You're not ashamed of the name of Jesus. You're proclaiming the name of Jesus. Are you ashamed of the name of Jesus in your workplace? I can't let them know I'm a believer. What would they think about me in your neighborhood, at the gym? Or are you carrying the name and sharing the name? Mark of a mighty faith is that you are not ashamed of the name of Jesus, that you are declaring the name of Jesus because you are living a life that is exalting the name of Jesus, that you realize that Jesus' name has been exalted above every other name and that at his name, every knee will bow. And he is the only hope. Good news is there's grace when you deny the name of Jesus, right? Look at the story of Easter. Look at Peter. He denied Jesus' name and God restored him. So if you are living a life where you are denying the name of Jesus, there's not gospel consistency in your life, there's hope for you through the repentance and the love of God. Will you repent today and turn back today and be restored by Jesus today? And I want you to see this. Look at verse nine. What does Jesus say that beholds the synagogue, those of the synagogue of Satan, those that claim the name of Jesus but are actually living the life of Satan? Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn. What are they learning? What is that next phrase there? That what? That I have what you? I have loved you. Friends, you are loved. Like, you are loved with an unconditional, unstoppable, undeniable love. The world might hate you, but Jesus loves you. And they will learn how much he loved you because he went to the cross for you. He sees you, he pursues you, he knows you, he loves you, he died for you, he's risen for you, and he wants to save you and reign with you. Praise God. I don't know what you're feeling this morning, but I want you to know this. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved with a love that no one can separate you from. Read Romans 8. That nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not circumstances, not our own decisions not our shortcomings. Anchor in that today. Praise God for that. I've missed so many gospel opportunities, moments, conversations in my life because I've been focused on myself and not my Savior. Don't be me. What are the gospel opportunities before you right now? The doors that God is opening for you right now to walk through. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's going on a mission team. Maybe a mission trip. Maybe it's serving the Lord at the gym. Maybe it's a geographical location decision. Just ask yourself this, where is my life bearing fruit for the gospel? It might not be in the place you want it to be, but it's, you're in the place where God wants you to be. Where has God opened the right door for me? What are others in my biblical community affirming in me? Are you seeking God's counsel and are you seeking leaning into biblical counsel wisdom? Are you listening? Are you looking? And then are you living in a way that honors God and lives for God. Would you go ahead and shut your eyes with me again? Two-part challenge as we go to the Lord in prayer here. Ask the Lord to reveal to you those gospel opportunities he has laid before you, the open doors. 
and then choose to commit to them and make an action plan for them. And the second part is, who is God this week, Easter week, calling you to invite to church, to share the gospel with, to invite them specifically? And then write their name on the bulletin, put it in your phone, and then do it. So where are those places you've been living your own life in your own way that you need to repent and embrace the open door that God has given you? And then specifically for Easter week, who is God calling you to invite to him? Just go to the Lord in prayer for the next minute or two. Father God, we thank you for the reality of your grace and your truth, that your love saves us, your grace sustains us. And you want to do things in us and through us far greater than we could ever hope or imagine. Forgive us for the window, the doors that we have refused to walk through or ignored walking through. And I pray that we would choose to see, that we would choose to listen, that we would be emboldened by your strength and your power to do your work. We claim the, the promise from Ephesians 3.20 that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It's your power, not ours. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God, we claim your power. We ask that you would do things far greater than we can ever imagine. Give us the faith, the mighty faith to pray bolder and to believe bigger and to live more faithfully obedient as we live for you, as we live through you, as we proclaim you that you are the one that can save. God, you are, you are able and you are able now. God, help us to have faith to do it now. In your name we pray, amen. The third mark of a mighty church after we have a heart of faithful, uh, for, uh, full surrender and a life of faithful obedience is this. It's a mindset of fervent endurance. Jesus continues and he concludes this letter that he's writing. And he says, because you, verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. The word patient endurance, there is one word in the Greek. It's a word that has come up a couple different times previously in these letters. It's the word hypomene. It means to endure under, under the pressure of the world, under the pressure of, of the internal pressure, external pressure to continue to seek the Lord and stand for the Lord, to not give way when the world shakes around you and quakes around you. To hold faithfully to the God's word in the midst of adversity and hostility truths to trust in the Lord and let him do the work that he's doing. This text, this letter, Jesus does amazing things. He, he affirms our justification that, he is, that Jesus has died for us and taken the place in our sins and paid our debt. He exhorts our sanctification. He says that right here in verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast. It's an exhortation to sanctification to continue to grow to be more like him. And it's a call to, to have expectation of our glorification a great expectation that there is coming a day where we will live with Jesus, that we will have the name of God in the city of God, the new Jerusalem that verse 12 talks about here, that we will have a crown being given to us, the eternal reward. Therefore, endure, church, he's saying. 
take your eyes off the earthly cost and focused on the eternal crown. Where are you focusing right now? The earthly cost or the eternal crown? He's saying to endure, that I will give you the strength to endure. I have set the model for endurance. Who for the joy set before him, in Philippians 2 says, Jesus did what? He endured the cross. He saw you because he loves you. He saw your face and he knew your name and he had his hands nailed to a cross. He had a cat of nine tails rip the skin off of his back. He had a crown of thorns plunged deeply into his head because he loves you. And he knows that he's the only way for you and he's the only way for your neighbor and your coworker and the person across the world that has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. So friends, endure in the mighty mission because we have a mighty savior, amen? He's worthy of it all and others are worth our all because Jesus paid for it all. So behold our savior. Behold his suffering. Behold his victory. Behold his authority. Behold his commissioning. He has saved us. He has strengthened us. He sanctifies us and he sends us because he wants to save others too. Hold fast, it says. I will keep you from the hour. I am coming soon. Hold fast. So what does it look like What is my battle plan for enduring victory to experience this on a daily basis? Because victory is not a one-time thing. This is how we we need to fight our battles on a daily basis, right? Jesus has already won the war, but we got to fight these spiritual battles on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but I'm fighting some stuff today, amen? How do we do that? First step to this, my battle plan to victory is turning to Jesus dependently. Are you running from Jesus or are you turning to Jesus right now? Dependently. He says, because you've kept my word, verse 10 about patient endurance, because you have depended on my word, you have not departed from my word, you have clung to me, you have depended on me, I will keep you. I will keep you from eternal damnation. I will deliver you. There's a lot of debate about the theology of this one verse. We're not going to go there right now, but here's the truth. Here's the reality about this text that ultimately, if you depend on Jesus Christ and surrender to him, you will be with him for all of eternity in experiencing the the fruit of his victory. Amen? Praise God for that. The second part of our battle plan is this, that I will trust in the promises of Jesus wholeheartedly. He says, I'm coming back for you. I'm coming back for you, verse 11 says. Hold fast so that no one can seize it. That's that sanctification. Keep holding fast. Keep obeying because I have a crown for you. Where do you need to hold fast to the promises of Jesus today? Anchored in the reality of the love of Christ that we see in verse nine. That he has his best in store for you. That he is sanctifying. Sometimes he uses a fire and an anvil. Like he's forging faith. And it hurts. But it's because he loves you. He's stripping and pruning things away from you that are bad for you because he loves you. Lean into that promise that he loves you and keep enduring anchored in his promises. Third, rest in the victory of Jesus confidently. I love this verse 12. 
He says, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall we go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Jesus is promising you a place with him for all of eternity to reign with him. And think about this to a people who had had their town destroyed by an earthquake. Jesus is saying, I will give you a new place that can never be destroyed. God, your life, guys, your life outside might be shaking, but Jesus is standing. He will hold you fast. Rest in that as you endure for him. And fourth and finally, following the leading of the Holy Spirit obediently and joyfully. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's speaking. Are you listening? Jesus is speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking right now to you. Are you listening? Are you obeying? Are you following? Are you surrendering? Are you enduring? He's speaking. Will you listen? He wants to do a mighty work in you now, not just later, but now. And the power source for that is prayer. Prayer is a posture of dependency. Prayer is a posture of victory. Prayer says, Jesus, we need you. And Jesus, we look to you. Behold our Savior. We're going to do that right now. I'm going to ask the, 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 the folks that I, we're going to have some folks stationed in the different corners of the room as we close. So you can go ahead and move to those corners right now. We're going to have Nate and Stephanie up front as a couple if you want to pray with them. Don, one of our elders, is going to be over here. Pastor Andrew's in the back, and Cindy Baker, one of our leaders, is going to be in the back as well. And we're just going to have a time to respond in prayer. And we're going to go into a response song and keep praying as the Holy Spirit moves and works. He wants to do a mighty work in you and through you. Where do you need to surrender? Not later, but right now. Right now. Life won't get better until you surrender. Stop knocking on the door that is shut and go through the one that is open. It takes humility. I don't care about what anybody else around this room thinks about you. You do work with God and ask God to do the work in you right now. We love you and Jesus loves you. We are all a mess. Praise God for the mercy of our Savior. We all need grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Stop running from God today and run to him. Wherever you are, come as you are. Health issue, relational issue, uh, theology struggle, whatever it is, financial issue, just come. You can pray with your, uh, at your own chair by yourself. You can grab a friend wherever you're at and pray. Just start praying. And if you need, I need power to endure. I need strength to endure. You're not alone. Come and we will pray with you. We need God's strength to endure on God's mission. You're not alone. So just do it. Pray to the Lord right now personally. Come get prayer collectively and watch God work powerfully and mightily. Amen. The mighty faith, a mighty faith, a life of mighty faith begins with a heart of surrender. We surrender right now. What is God asking you to surrender? I'm going to I'll open in prayer. I'll close in prayer. And then we'll respond in worship. But if you want to keep praying through worship, pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I just pray that you continue to work in your midst right here for your people, for your glory, for your name. God, I just ask that in this time that we would surrender to you what you are asking us to surrender. No more hiding, no more running, that we would lay it down because you love us and you are the Holy One. You are the true one. You are the one in authority. You have purchased our victory and we can't do it without you. Forgive us for trying. And God, may we run to you right now. Forgive us for running from you for so long. Right now in humility, may we run to you and experience the love of you the grace and the mercy and the victory that you purchased for us on Calvary. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So right now, just go ahead and pray 
at your seat. Find a friend to pray with. Pray for strength. If you need strength, if you come and find one of these leaders in the corners, they're praying over you right now and they would love to pray with you. God is offering you an open door. If you're hesitating, stop hesitating and start coming. Come into the ground, to the the foot of the cross. Whether at your seats, if there's someone that you feel like you want to pray with or that God's calling you to get up and go pray with him, just do it right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Confess, repent, commit, return. Not out of fear, but out of faith. Don't let those internal obstacles stop you from experiencing the grace and the goodness of God that comes through surrender. There's no shame here. There's no guilt but grace. Come as you are and be met where you are. I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for just the mercy and the grace that you've given to us on the cross. And Jesus, we come to you right now with a posture of surrender, asking you to do what only you can do, looking to you, the maker and the creator, the the author of our salvation, and asking you to work in us and forgive us for our sins, God, to strengthen us to endure choose to behold the gospel opportunities that you have set before us, God, and forgive us for so many times focusing ourselves as opposed to you, our Savior. And Jesus, we need you and we love you and we look to you, God. You are the name that is above every name and that at your name, we bend our knee and we confess this morning that you are the Lord. You are the master You are in authority, you are in session, you are risen and you are reigning. And God, give us the mighty faith to admit the reality of our need for total dependency because by ourselves we exist and we we fall short of you, God. That we repent from all those areas in our life where we have been trying to, in our own strength, experience the hope and the joy and the peace that we desperately need, but apart from you, we cannot experience. And God, in humility, we come 
break down the walls and the obstacles in our own hearts, and then help us to carry your name to those that need that around us, God. What a beautiful name you have, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name. You are our Savior. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are our Messiah, and you are our Master, and we worship you. In your name, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, but you can keep on praying.